Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week's episode takes us back to Munich in March this year, where I spoke to the team behind Contra Magazine. We were over there for the Edge Editorial Design Conference, where they just presented their brand new magazine dedicated to understanding conflicts and visual culture. Contra had literally only launched in January this year, so at that point it was still just a couple of months old. And as you'll hear in this conversation, they were really quite overwhelmed by the response it had received so far. As you'd expect from a magazine dealing with the representation of conflict, there were some extremely heavy themes like war and death and this issue's special focus is on displacement and the team feels a great responsibility to represent that in a sensitive and meaningful way. As they say, they don't want to just aestheticise conflict and in fact a big part of their aim with the magazine is to show the extent to which conflict is always aestheticised in any media. Watching the footage a couple of weeks ago of British and American and French jets taking off to bomb targets in Syria, I was reminded of this conversation and I think it's really interesting to see how they're taking such a distinctive approach. It's a really ambitious and impressive magazine so I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Ben Bohm Dushan, George Brody and Shivani Hassard from Contra magazine. Alright, so I'm here with Ben, Shivani and George from Contra. How you doing? Hello. Hello. Uh, and I think we're about to do a slightly difficult thing in that we're going to try and talk about a visual culture magazine without any visuals. Um, can you tell us what is this thing Contra? <laughs> so it's, uh, it's a very new publication. We launched uh, roughly sort of a month and a half ago. And we're exploring the relationship between visual culture and conflict and situations that arise through conflict. Um, the first issue um, is focused on the theme of displacement. Uh, so it's kind of looking at past, current and future migrations through the lens of sort of the visual arts. Um, we're now progressing at each topic, each um, issue will have a different theme that focuses in, on the specific aspects of this sort of overall relationship and dynamic. Um, as you said, yeah, it's, uh, it's not the easiest thing to talk about without sort of the, the visual elements of it. Um, but that's that's kind of the crux of it. So why conflict? Why is this something that you felt compelled to make a magazine about? I think it's something that everyone everyone experiences in some way through the media or through uh, reading things online or through kind of videos or Twitter or social anything to do with social media. Um, and everyone has an opinion on it, but maybe not everyone. Um, I don't want to say as informed as. The, is as informed as they should be but um, has access to kind of a variety of sources surrounding it for example you might only have the mainstream media sources who are reporting directly on the front lines and they might have their own agenda or they might want to kind of um, say something with a story so we'll use imagery to kind of say what they want to say so we just wanted to open up what people can experience in terms of um, images surrounding conflict by kind of shining a light on a few different artists and visual practitioners, visual practitioners who um, are, are creating very, very fascinating things that maybe like you wouldn't usually have the opportunity of seeing. So where, where did this come from as an idea? Who, who first said, do you know what? We should make a magazine about conflict and visual culture. Well, me, myself and Ben um, both studied art history at university and and both found at different universities and found ourselves both kind of 
make a beeline towards imagery around conflict and kind of uh, in, uh, art and visual culture, which has kind of um, uh, relevance in the kind of geopolitical climate, um, rather than the kind of superficial commercial stuff, which you get a lot of and it get taught a lot of and we were basically at a party one night and we're standing there having a chat over a beer and we were thinking we both talked about how fascinated we are in this subject and we kind of looked at each other and said well why don't we why don't we do something which relates to this obviously we're having this conversation because no one else wanted to talk to us because we wouldn't start talking about conflict but yeah it was basically out of a out of a conversation um about it. And, and then we came to the idea of a publication because we thought it was something that could be tangible, people could hold, you could make kind of um, beautiful and, and look nice. And obviously with imagery you need kind of a platform to really kind of... Hold it. Sh- yeah, exactly, and yeah. show the beautiful images and, and we thought it was the perfect medium to do yeah. so. Really. We wanted to create something that would maybe stand out a little bit and had the idea of having something that you could hold in your hands that was something that you really kind of enjoyed looking through and you found fascinating and you could take the time to really sit down with it um, that was incredibly appealing for us um, and we also from what we gathered there was literally nothing like this that sort of existed and um, we may still be wrong about that but to, to our knowledge that's still still correct and the, um, the slowness of print was something that um, doesn't I think outside of this project I hadn't thought it would appeal to me so strongly but in this context it felt quite important due to the way that um, stories move so quickly and you know for example our first theme it has been displacement and uh, in the time since we started the project to now this has completely disappeared from headlines from newspapers entirely when actually the crisis is far from over and there are you know new situations arising every single day and effectively the fact that people uh, will sit down with a piece of media and consume it in a different way um, than they would to online media was really integral to the the ethos behind Contra, I guess. Uh, so when you say the crisis, so you're talking about the, the migrant crisis in Europe? Yes, so um, as, the, as this is a very contemporary situation that is relevant to us in the UK, but of course internationally as well, um, that is what a lot of the stories are focused on. However, we also felt it was important to contextualise that as this is not a new story, this is the story of you know, humankind. This is the story of really our civilization, um, and so we wanted to bring in. You know, there are other there are other huge, you know, flows of peoples in the world happening at the moment. We are obviously Europe centric due to our biases, um, but we wanted to bring in other viewpoints into this as well. Yeah, we also wanted to think about displacement and not just in terms of human migration, but also about displacement of ideology and displacement of our objects and artefacts, which um, is something due to the fact that it was the first issue. Um, we didn't necessarily squeeze in kind of everything that we had wanted to. Um, but this is kind of an aspect of what we are trying to do with this one and what we will try and do in the future, which is approaching themes from quite a variety of different perspectives and also trying to get um, a multitude of different angles so that uh, a story has a bit more depth to it and has a bit more... Um, yeah, some sort some, of some more layers and more um, perspectives that help to build an overall picture rather than a kind of one-dimensional approach. I, I would say your stories have a lot of depth to them. I mean, the, 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 <laughs> so the, the, when uh, you know, I, I saw the magazine, I guess because it's not 
like of a type it's it's not you you can't go like oh yeah this is like that magazine for something else so it takes it took me a little bit of time to kind of understand the concept even like the so and, and like you know what's this about but once i was into it i just found it like absolutely fascinating the like the story selection is obviously incredibly important to that what for you makes a contra story like what, what fits in the mag um, I mean, maybe it's easiest to give an example of one of our, our pieces of content and one of the ones that I think goes so well with what we're trying to do is um, Mike Merkelschlager's project in Lesbos, uh, where he, um, he, after numerous trips to the island, he kind of started to become really um, familiar with life within his communities um, and conducted many, many interviews over his time there. And he's, um, he's an amazing photographer and did this incredible project that he's still working on. Um, and for our, for our magazine, he, he focused um, his project on one particular situation on the island. But what he does so expertly is um, he basically, because he's been talking to so many different people, and that's olive harvesters, fishermen, NGO workers, um, police, the refugees themselves arriving on the island in uh, huge numbers, um, is arrive at this incredibly full wide picture that you so rarely have witnessed to when you're, I mean we're so often confronted by stories about Lesbos and, and people coming to the island um, on boats, um, but so often it's, it doesn't go into any depth, you don't hear anything from the people on the island and, and to hear all those, and I actually was with him in Lesbos for part of the project and it was amazing for me as well, to, um, to hear all those angles coming together to form this incredible whole. Um, and that, uh, for me, I don't know about you guys, I think that's one of, one of the most sort of fitting to what we're kind of trying to do because it's that kind of multitude of angles and that depth that we're really searching for um, and that we believe kind of provides something different and goes beyond maybe traditional mainstream media approaches. And, and this is the story where the, there was an olive grove that was turned into a cemetery right, yeah, for, yeah. for migrants. So then that just, all of that gets expressed in this incredibly simple yeah. and powerful yeah, way exactly. of like, look, these people need to be buried. Yeah. <laughs> we, we need to just do something with this. Um, it's, a, it's an absolutely tragic story, but um, within this tiny little locality, because you have this amazing contrast between the traditional, simple, rural island life and the really profoundly tragic events that surround it and that resonate throughout sort of global politics. Um, within this tiny locality, you have something that goes so far beyond that. And, and by the simplicity of just that one very touching, moving, sad story, so, so many layers come out of it and so many sort of woven tapestry of politics and ideology and um, everything. I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing piece. And I think for us, the kind of contra hook in that, besides the actual work itself and the quality of it, was the fact that it could raise quite, you know, quite uncomfortable views sometimes, some quite conflicting views within that. And we were very, we were kind of excited by the fact that we would be learning from people we wouldn't really have access to otherwise. And we recognised that we... You know, even when we look at the human story, we tend to come from a liberal kind of bias or a perspective that supports our existing viewpoints into this. And with this story, at least, and a few others in the magazine, mm. we tried to keep it as rounded and as confronting of 
our own kind of prejudices in that way. Yeah. Mm. So you, you um, talked on stage yesterday about how this thing was born in like the hangover from Brexit. So there's a, I mean, there, there's a, a sense in this, and I've seen this with several magazines of people feeling a kind of shock and powerlessness and wanting to make something in response. But also you really interestingly talked about um, at the same time as all of this, we've had like the highest youth vote turnout in however many years. So it feels like there's optimism in here as well. I think that I think there is a strong optimism in this. And I think the fact that we're seeing, you know, in amongst young people, at least, there's a very strong desire to uh, not be kind of not have the world pulled over our eyes as strongly. And it's quite a bizarre time because at once, you know, we're also at this peak uh, consumption of imagery. Um, the way that the way that we are informed is very often through very highly manipulable channels, and there's very little kind of access to truly independent media. And there isn't that much like people don't really understand to what extent things are being kind of doctored towards their own taste. Um, I think something as simple as looking at news like Facebook news feeds in the run up to elections is actually really eye opening and very distressing. And so that I mean that was something that we spoke about a lot as we kind of were thinking about what angle we could take and also what we could fairly say that we're doing because we don't want to uh, pretend to have an objective view because that would also be very naive. And so then, so you mentioned Facebook. It is then part of the point of the print magazine then that you're operating outside of, you know, you're, you're not on a social media platform. You know, you're making a thing in print and then that is entirely of its own. Yeah, I mean, we effectively, uh, we kind of are operating under these print and online uh platforms as very separate entities and so some of the work that is in print we you know perhaps were referencing in kind of promotional ways to kind of big up the artists and as we're running up to launch build interest but outside of that none of the stories are repeated and we think that's quite important because there are certain kinds of stories that work really well for print and would be to be honest the completely decontextualized if you put them on a platform there's that kind of Susan Sontag quote about like if you take an image a private image make it like make it public you're completely stripping it of its complete of its meaning and that really resonates with me where you there's some work that we think is perfect for online due to the media type and how people can interact with it in their own homes in a fleeting way but that has to be quite uh, heavily curated I think so you guys, it's fair to say, are very new to this. Yep. So your mag came out in January. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what has what's been your experience of this so far? I think I think it's been it's been very positive. I think I think you never know when doing something completely brand new. Um, that as far as Ben said, we don't didn't don't think exists um, if people are going to respond to it if people are going to enjoy it if people are going to kind of have any interest at all I mean that would have been kind of, that was kind of always our worst fears that we'd produce it and people would be like okay well I'm not interested in the subject it looks nice but that's about it you know because it, it, it's about trying to tell these stories and we think they're so fascinating and so kind of um, helpful for contextualising what is going on and has gone on that um, 
I, I think we were just, yeah, I think we were very worried about the fact that people might not respond to it, but we've had kind of almost overwhelmingly positive responses. I mean, yeah, we've still got a long way to go. We've still got a lot of money to recoup. Um, but um, it's been, yeah, a learning curve, we've we'll been, say that. Um, incredibly, um, I mean, amazed by how great the feedback's been. And since, since the launch, everything's been going um, in, going in such sort of unprecedentedly <laughs> successful way that we, which is amazing for us because yeah. we, we spent so much time and, and energy creating this thing that, as George just said, we, we did fear that people wouldn't care or wouldn't be interested in the topic that we feel so passionate about and to now have some kind of reassurance that, I'm, not, I'm saying this with the full knowledge that some people might not be interested at all, um, but having some kind of reassurance that we've done something that people are actually at least curious about and are sort of maybe interested in. I think, um, I think on on that, uh, whilst, you know, I, I kind of try and explain Contra quite often and when I do, I uniformly get the response of, oh, that's so niche, right? And it's not a negative response. It's just a comment on how particular, you know, we're not, we're not looking at something which should be as uniform as, say, feminism. You know, that is something that I would definitely pick up a magazine on. I think a lot of people would, right? But you don't necessarily know this is your interest, right? And um, that being said, once you start to describe the kinds of work that we're interested in and that we are commissioning and that we're on the lookout for, the majority of people kind of rephrase that and say, oh, actually, that kind of applies to so many of the things I encounter. And it's actually slightly different that way because, as George was saying, it's like we... um, whether we like it or not you don't actually have to be actively interested in this to have an opinion on it actually and that's one of the wonderful or bizarre things about what we're doing is that everyone's you know personal experience has been very very insightful towards this because you know you're you're forced to form a political opinion effectively and you're also dealing with some very serious subjects i mean in a lot of the stories you're talking about death the i mean the you know you you have a big responsibility to telling these stories properly i mean the how to what extent does that weigh on your minds as you're making this thing i think i think massively i mean i think from the start we we're constantly reiterating how kind of and 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 talking about how this has to be completely respectful to kind of every story and every person involved in it because we're not people who've come from or are involved in conflict zones. So um, we can't kind of, from a first-hand point of view, talk about this because because we're not involved with it. So there's kind of an absolute necessity to be as respectful as possible. And that, um, I think it, it is, it does weigh on you because you don't want to kind of, um, you don't want to seem like, this is a pet project and we're kind of flippantly referring to these examples of conflict um, in our spare time, you know. Um, it is something I feel really passionately about and that I think is fascinating and I think it's the same with all of us. But I think that is the biggest struggle with, with the subject matter of the magazine. And what we've tried to do, because, because we've been so consistently conscious of that fact and that we're dealing with such sensitive topics and um, subject matter, is that, I mean, this is much easier said than done, but we want to the best of our ability make this a platform where our voices are to some extent detached and to let the the artist the artwork the speaker the writer basically speak for itself and to to 
provide the the voice um obviously being editors you you can't detach your voice completely um but we've kind of attempted to do that in the best in you know i think it was also important in the design of it um because we obviously wanted the magazine to look good and be appealing but you don't want to aestheticize it to the extent that um, it's kind of style over substance because the stories are the most important part so it, it is trying to balance it kind of being visually appealing and something that people want to pick up and read but also putting all the kind of emphasis on the stories themselves yeah it's also um, something we've been conscious of is, is really not aestheticizing conflict that's what we're not trying people sometimes kind of misunderstand that about what we're trying to do and that's really something we we really strongly want actually, to avoid. I would actually argue that one of the kind of biggest uh, motivations behind the project, at least from my side and how I got involved, was um, to, in fact, draw awareness to the way in which conflict is aestheticized. And so this was something that not only is it like very at the forefront of our minds, but it's actually one of the, at least one of my intentions with this is to make people aware of how readily we consume these intestinal ideas and um, remove from you know remove it from the rawness of the situation so all this being said and this is as rounding up now right what does success look like for Contra? How, how will you know that you've, well, like, that's it, it, we've made it? Issue two, mate. Issue two. I think, I think um, for, for me, it's, uh, I think it's seeing that we can make this a sustainable project. Um, that's maybe a, it's quite humble. I think we'd li- I'd like to see this as something we can continue and that people have a sustained interest in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think all of us uh, have that as our sort of primary ambition and what we'd be very happy with is just being able to run this consistently in a sustainable way that was engaging enough to keep people interested while while growing a sort of uh, readership. And we're entirely independent, we're entirely kind of running this off profits made from events and everything goes back into the magazine, so I think... And our own back pockets. And our, well, yeah, it's... it's um, I think making it work has been quite a fun process because it's meant that we've gathered readership along the way and it's meant that we've actually gained contributors along the way. So it's been actually very positive in that sense. I think if we'd landed upon a pile of money, we would have made a worse magazine, <laughs> to be honest. like I think uh, that's it is, been... It's definitely worth mentioning how amazing every single one of our contributors and the uh, venues that we've been working with for events have so been supportive. because they've done absolutely everything for free. And because they know we've been doing this with absolutely no funding and that we're not doing this as a money-making project, as Amelia just said, it's all going straight back into the, the magazine. Um, they deserve an enormous amount of credit because to be doing all of that work for, for no, no money is, is an incredible thing. That's so we're very grateful to be able to, to pay people going forward. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and that's something we'd like to do. Amazing <laughs> work they yeah. put in, which we are planning on doing, but obviously... <laughs> that, that will come well look you've made a, a fantastic start to it so uh, congratulations on that and I'm really looking forward to seeing it keep on going thank you, thank you, very you much. so much thank, thank you so much, much. Yeah. 
Okay, that's all for this week. As with so many other independent publishers, the aim for Contra is just to keep on going. If they can keep putting their magazine out into the world and pay the people featured in its pages, that is success for them. I'm very pleased to say that we're going to be offering Contra as part of a special collection on Sampler in the next couple of weeks, so watch the Stack blog for news of that and you'll be able to buy Contra plus some other great magazines and enjoy a special discount along the way. We've got another conversation from the Edge Conference lined up for next week's episode, so if you'd like to hear that, search for Stack Magazines on SoundCloud or iTunes and follow us in either of those places or wherever else you get your podcasts, and we'll deliver it to you as soon as it's ready. Thank you very much for listening to this one, and we'll be back with another episode next week.